Amen. Um, let me just first welcome you all to Church at Five. I'm, uh, I was really encouraged by the, the worship, and uh, I especially like this song of, uh, you know, making us white as, uh, that, that will be kind of made white as snow is what the Bible says, and it's such an encouraging thing, especially looking outside with all the snow and something that can be encouraging for us to remember that uh, by Christ's work we are truly made right, which is something we've been talking about a lot the last few weeks. Uh, if you're just joining us uh, for the first time, I'm Brandon. I'm one of the leaders here at Church at Five. This is the English service, if you couldn't tell yet. This is the service that's all in English of Calvary Chapel. And uh, I want to start by just talking a little bit about what Church at Five is. Uh, we have a few core values, and last week I talked about how one of our core values is to be a safe place. And what that means is we want you to feel at home here, that it's a place that uh, it doesn't matter where you come from, you can feel at home here. But today I want to kind of talk a little bit about another one of our core values, which is uncomfortable. And it seems counterintuitive, how can we be safe and uncomfortable? But uh, being uncomfortable is about growth. Growing is an uncomfortable process. Uh, I'm not really, really tall, but I'm fairly tall, and I think I went from like here to my current height in like two years, and it was very uncomfortable and painful at times. Growth can be uncomfortable. It can be, make us uh, a little bit uneasy, and uh, if, for me, it was walking like a goofball, not being able to manage myself well, and, and that's what growth can do that. It can make us uncomfortable, but... It's a part of our DNA as humans to grow, and it's a part of our DNA here at Church at Five to be growing, that we need to be growing. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of God's plan for us that he said, I will continue the work that I began in you, and that's something we really like to be reminded of here. And so that takes growth, and that is an uncomfortable process. And so as a community, we want to not just be coming here because we have nothing better to do or because it's just because it's fun. It is hopefully fun and uh, something that we enjoy, but it's also a place that we want to be growing by strengthening and encouraging one another and uh, challenging one another. So that is another one of our core values is to be a place that's going to offer spiritual growth. And uh, with that in mind, actually I want to talk to you really quickly about an announcement we have, which is... Next Saturday, uh, so the 21st, at 1.30, we're going to be having a team meeting. And uh, so we have people who do worship for us, and we have people who prepare the snacks and clean afterwards, and we want to grow that team. And so if you're interested in being, maybe taking another step, if you say, hey, I, I like this service, I feel at home here, and I'd like to maybe help out, it doesn't matter if you help out... Uh, you know, once or once a month or once every other month even, or if you want to help out every week, that's also okay. Um, but if you're just, or even maybe you're like, well, I don't know if I want to get involved, but maybe I do, you can come to this meeting. It's going to be at 1.30 in the cafe, so the Calvary Chapel Cafe, which is across the street from here. And uh, you can come, check it out. We're going to worship together. We're going to pray together. And we're going to be talking about a little bit about our vision and some outreach we want to do and just... Uh, kind of where it, Church at Five is going to be going in 2017. And also we want input 
from people who say, hey, you know what, I've, I've got something on my heart for an outreach that we can be reaching into maybe the university or whatever may be on your heart. It's also an opportunity to come and, uh, and bring your ideas. So if you're interested in that or uh, at, at all, you can come. It's, it's totally free and you don't have, you're not committing to anything. But uh, if you like being a part of this service that's, and you want to maybe take another step, you can come to the team meeting next Saturday. And if you want more information about that, you can also fill out a welcome card, which are on the info table outside, and we'll email you more details. So we're going to be continuing our series in Galatians. We've been going for a while now, but it's a very highly dense, packed uh, book that Paul uh, put together. It's actually a letter Paul wrote to, <clears throat> uh, to the Galatians. And he's writing them in response to some false teachers had come in and was leading the people astray. And so they were kind of drifting away. And last week we talked about how they were actually going back to their ritualistic lifestyle and how we can learn from what it looks like to be falling back to what we knew before our relationship with Christ. And... Um, Paul's writing this letter, the, the core value or the core point of this uh, text is to get the people back on track. So sometimes he says it in a really kind, loving way, sometimes not so much, sometimes he's a little bit more direct, a little bit more harsh, uh, but his heart is that he cares about the people and he wants to see them get back on track. So that's the point of this letter and that's how we're going to be looking at it. And uh, last week... We also were reminded of how we're sons and daughters of God, that we're adopted into his family. And he uses this phrase that we are known by God and that being the, there's something really special about us knowing that we're known by God. And that's a part of us understanding God's love for us and that we want to live that out in our lives. We want to live out being loved by God. And it's through this kind of flowing in of God's love for us that we're able to have something to give out uh, in our ministry. So we also saw how even though they know all this, even though the Galatians knew that they were loved, knew that they were known by God, and Paul's overemphasizing how much they, they knew this, they grasped it at the time, they still were turning back and going back to their old ways. And it reminds us that we need to be vigilant. We need to be always on guard, remembering that there is an enemy, there is a force that doesn't want us to remember that we're loved by God, doesn't want us to know that we're accepted by Him. And so we have to be vigilant, and the Bible says to be sober-minded and be looking out. So that's what, that brings us up to where we are today. Before we dive in, uh, let's just take a moment and pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You so much, Lord, that we can come together and we can look at your word and we can learn from your word and grow from your word. And I pray, Father, that you open our hearts to receive from you and open my heart, Lord, to speak your truths in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week our text is going to be in Galatians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 4. We'll be starting at verse 21. And uh, this is an interesting text. This is uh, Paul's kind of going uh, a little bit a different direction here. And he's making more of a debate with them against 
uh, these false teachers and against what they were standing for. And he uses their own argument against them. So he kind of goes with the Old Testament approach because they were trying to teach that they should go by the law, that they should be obeying the law, that Jesus in himself wasn't enough to save. And so Paul's trying to get them back on track. And in doing so, he's actually, he uses their kind of own arguments against them, uh, proving that Jesus and his promise is enough. And this passage does assume uh, a pretty intimate knowledge of the Old Testament. Uh, the people, the Judaizers, these uh, false teachers, were, would have been quite uh, versed, if you will. They would have known the Old Testament stories, the narratives really well. And uh, so that's why he dives into some really deep stuff. We're not going to be able to get into all the depth of this text just because I, I'm already having a problem with going long last week. So we're going to be focusing kind of on some practical applications we can grab from this text. And uh, hopefully we all leave with something. And um, this story, he mainly is going to be focusing in, is found in Genesis, uh, verse, uh, chapter 16, 17, and 21, and actually some other chapters as well. He kind of spreads it all out, and he's grabbing bits and pieces of the story. So we're going to start and go through our text kind of bit by bit. We'll start with verse 21. So tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? Now this passage is immediately showing who he's addressing. He's addressing anybody who says, I want to be under the law. So he's pointing out people who are going to this Either in, with, their, with the situation in the, with the Galatians, they were going back to obeying the Mosaic law. So going back to the Old Testament kind of Ten Commandments way of living. And that if they didn't do that, if they didn't do all of that and the ceremonial laws, obeying the, uh, observing the Sabbath, what not to eat, what they can eat. If they didn't do all these things, then they wouldn't be a true follower of God. But also, it's, it's something that we can definitely relate with because there are a lot of people, a lot of churches and a lot of people in churches that if we're not careful, we can make the gospel into law. We can take the gospel truth that Christ saved me. And we've talked a lot about this, that we're justified by our faith in Jesus Christ alone, that what he did was enough. And what we do is just believe on him and make him Lord of our lives. And if we're not careful, we can go to this place of, well, God only truly accepts me when I'm doing everything right or when I'm living this way or if I mess up, then, you know, he doesn't love me as much and we can start to make it into law and uh, making it about what Jesus, uh, that we have to go back to remembering what Jesus did for us and that it was, in fact, enough. So, he starts his argument here by meeting them on their own ground. Again, talking about the law. And this, an interesting note in this word law that he uses, it's, uh, it kind of has a double meaning. So, they were talking about the Mosaic law, so Ten Commandments, this kind of law. And, uh, but also, law doesn't just mean the rules, but it also was the books of the law, which was the first five books of the Bible. And, uh, or the five books of Moses. And so 
he's kind of uh, exploiting that fact by reminding them that the law is more than just the rules. And the Mosaic law was the law that was given at Mount Sinai, and that's important because he'll mention it again later in the text. And um, this also, as I said, included the ceremonial laws, Sabbath, what, to, what they were allowed to eat, and, uh, of course, the Ten Commandments. And uh, the other meaning of the law that he's referring to with the book of the law is where he's going to be spending most of his time, primarily, again, in the book of Genesis. So these leaders in Galatia were calling for the people to follow the Mosaic law and to abide by it fully in order for them to be a true believer, in order for them to be a true follower of God. And Paul, on the other hand, is using the law, using the book of the law, the book of Genesis, primarily, to show that God is a God of promise, not of just of the rules. And, um, and that the promise of God is always greater, God's promise on our life is always greater than our duty to him. So, Let's go ahead and go into the next few verses, 22 and verse 23. For it is written, and that again is just a reference that it is the law, that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born according to divine promise, as, oh, as the result of a divine promise. So Paul is starting here with a historical argument. These are things that actually happen. This is actual people and something that, the again, they would have known well. The Judaizers, these, these uh, leaders, these false teachers would have known this story well. They would have been taught it from a young age. And uh, they would have, all of the Jews and, all, and also the, the um, Galatians at the time who were being taught by them would have also known this story. But... I'm not sure if all of us are on the same page as far as the story of Abraham and God's promise for him and these two women. So I'm going to go through this narrative and just highlight a few key points all the way through it. And we've, we talked a lot about Abraham and his promise, um, but we're going to go through the whole kind of narrative and also be adapting it to how this can be applied to our lives today. So... <clears throat> So God gave Abraham a promise, and he actually gave him many promises, but we're going to focus on this first one that he gave him, which was that he would be the father of many nations. And uh, that was God's first promise to Abraham in reference to his descendants. And at the time, his wife, him and his wife, Sarah, didn't even have any kids, all right? But uh, when we read about, it's found in uh, Genesis 12, but when you look at this story, you can see Abraham's kind of excitement about what's happening. And I think this is something we can all kind of relate to. This is when we first come to Christ and there's this excitement about this relationship with him. It's when God first puts a call in your life, when you first hear him leading you into a ministry or maybe uh, directing you with a uh, specific situation, whether it's... uh, something with a a new job or even a relationship and you feel God's word in your heart and there's an excitement and there's a joy and there's this anticipation of what God is telling you he's going to do when God gives us that promise but we can we can start off so just pumped and excited about 
what that promise means for us. And especially connecting it with our salvation in this moment when we realize we are truly accepted into God's family, adopted as sons and daughters. Now, after some years go by, God says to Abraham again, this time he says that you'll have a son and that your descendants will be more than the stars in the sky. And this is something we looked at a few uh, back in December. And he also says that uh, more than the sands on, the, on all the seashores. So a lot of descendants. Again, reigniting this excitement of God's promise and what God was going to do through them. But then even more time passed, quite a bit, and nothing happened. They still don't have a son or any kids at all. And this can be that moment when we start to wonder. We feel, we remember all that excitement when God gave us that word, when, when God put that in our heart of what he wanted to do in us or through us. And now it's been months, years, and nothing's happened. In our, in our walk with God, in our faith, in our salvation, this can be that moment when we start to feel like it's dry. We used to pray and, and it just felt like fire in our hearts and we read the Bible and the words popped out at us, but the last few months have just been still and feeling empty. And that we can have these moments in our lives, we can have these seasons where things start to feel distant and you start to wonder well, I, I know that God gave me these promises. I know that God brought me into his family, but why am I having this dry season? Why is nothing happening, nothing moving forward in what he put in my heart, what seems like so long ago? And we can see even Abraham is starting to experience this dry season where nothing seems to be happening. Now, when Abraham's wife, Sarah, has, she's already getting up there in age. Abraham is now pushing 86, to be exact. Quite up there when it comes to uh, having children. Not a lot of people start thinking about having children in their mid-80s. And so uh, they are starting to really question what's going on. They still don't have any kids. But they know that God gave them a promise of a family, of descendants. And so they get an idea. And Sarah had a slave named Hagar. And this is where we get, start getting into our text. And she tells Abraham to go ahead and marry Hagar. And that uh, through her, they can have children. And Sarah actually says in Genesis uh, 16, this is a bit of a paraphrase. That, uh, you know, if I can't have children, because clearly I'm too far and past the age, and at some point she even is laughing about the idea of having children, then I can at least have a family through my servant. And this is where they took God's promise into their own hands. And uh, something I think we can all start to relate to, that when we have this we have these dry seasons or we have these points where maybe uh, God gave us a promise and nothing seems to be happening. We can start wondering, okay, well, what do I need to do to make this happen? What can I do to force this forward? 
And that's what Abraham and Sarah do. So Abraham agrees. Some more time passes, about nine months. And they have a son. And they call him Ishmael. Now, Sarah and Hagar, I don't know how close they were before, but this created quite an awkward situation. They start to hate each other, to spite each other. I mean, uh, Hagar for, with, uh, despises Sarah because she feels despised by Sarah. And it's just, it gets messy. It gets really messy. And I think any time that we try to produce God's promise in our life, any time that we try to make his will happen on our own, it's going to be a mess. It's going to make things messy. It's not going to go as smoothly as we think it will when we start planning it. And so even though they make this mess, some more time passes. Abraham is now 100. Sarah is 90. And God says again, And this time he gives them even a time frame. He says, in one year from now, you're going to have a son with your wife, Sarah. And that's found in Genesis 18. And guess what? One year later, they have a son. God's promised son. That he promised so many years before. And that's Isaac. So these are the two women and the two sons that... uh, Paul is building his whole kind of uh, allegory around. So Ishmael was the result of their own strength. He was the result of them doing it on their own, doing it their way, trying to fulfill God's promise. And that's why we see in the text that he was born according to the flesh, born according to their strength. But Isaac, on the other hand, was, as the uh, text says, was born as the result of a divine promise. The result of a divine promise. I really love that word result. That it's just this kind of cause and effect that when God says something, there's a result. And through their waiting on God, even though they didn't wait completely, God was faithful to fulfill that promise. And Isaac was the result and the answer to God's grace and his promise to them. God is a keeper of promises, always, no matter what. God keeps his word. Even when we try to do it on our own and we mess things up, he still is faithful to keep his word. And here's where it gets really interesting is that when God told Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, when he gave him that promise... He knew he would mess it up. When we feel God put something in our hearts, when we feel him lead us into something, he knows that we're probably going to mess it up at some point, that we're going to start to feel these dry seasons and maybe try to do it on our own. And and it's okay that we mess up. But it comes down to this choice of trusting in him or doing it in our own strength. God will always be faithful to his word. God will always be faithful to the promises he gives you. If you put it in your heart, whatever it is, I feel like there might be some people here, I don't know. I know that I can relate to this really well, that there are times when God's placed something in my heart and then lots and lots of time passed 
And I started trying to do it on my own and started messing it up. But thankfully, even though I tried to do it on my own, he was faithful to his word. And he kept his promise. He always keeps his promises. And when it comes to our salvation, when we're adopted into God's family, he keeps that promise that he's going to work in your heart, that he's going to be breathing life into you. Even though we're going to mess it up, even though we're going to make mistakes, even though we're going to fall into sin, we're going to fall back, he's still going to be faithful to his promise to continue that work to completion in our hearts. He's going to be working through those mistakes, working through those mess ups. So all of this that we've looked at is a part of Paul's historical argument. All right, so those are looking at what happened. And I guess we have to first kind of relate to knowing this story well as the hearers of this would have known the story well. And then we can dive into a little more of the allegory or Paul's allegorical argument. And this is where we start looking at what some of these things represent. So we're going to go through that now, looking at verse uh, 24 through 26. <coughs> these things are being taken figuratively. And there we go looking at it. It's, it's a, an allegory. The woman represents the, the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. So we have these two covenants represented by two women and two Jerusalems, but these are all an allegory kind of for the same things. And let's start with the, with the covenants, looking at first defining covenant in this context. This is a solemn agreement between God and us by which he makes us his people and promises to be our God, which is what we see in the Old Testament narrative of the people of Israel, God promising, making a covenant with them and promising to be their God and that they would be his people. And with the old covenant, which is what we see as starting with the promise of Abraham and continuing and kind of being fulfilled with the Mosaic law, looking at what most, the law that was given by Moses, uh, this was, was based on law and rules. So it started with, with Abraham, fulfilled with Moses, and this is what Hagar represents in this context, in this text here. This Mosaic law, and that's where we see this Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where Moses got the, the law, the Ten Commandments. You can imagine the movie if you've seen it or maybe some sort of version of it, the lightning coming down and the clouds and God's voice thundering. But uh, that is the representation of Mount Sinai, which is the law. So it's all, uh, all representing the same thing. The old covenant, Hagar, the, the present-day Jerusalem, it's all 
this image of the law, this image of the rule-based covenant. Now the Christian covenant, the new covenant, this was, that was foreshadowed through Abraham and foretold through the Old Testament prophets, this is based on God's promise. So it's the difference is rules and promise. In the old law, God laid the responsibility on men. So it was their responsibility to obey the law perfectly. And this is where we see the thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do this, all based off of our own ability to live up to this standard. But thankfully, we have the new covenant that's based in promise, in God's promised work in our lives through Jesus Christ on the cross. And God takes the responsibility on himself. And so we go from this rule-based, do this, don't do that, to I will, and I have done. God says, I've done it. It's not about what we can do now for him, but what he's already done for us through his death on the cross and resurrection. And this is again uh, also symbolized by Jerusalem. So the present city of Jerusalem. It represents God's choice, God's promise to his people for for a land. And it represents the people themselves. And uh, I mean, you can... In representing the people themselves, this is just as any major city, uh, any capital city would kind of be a representation of the people of that land. But who are the people of God? So in the present city of Jerusalem, in the Old Covenant, in the Mosaic Covenant, this represents the Israelites, so the Jewish people. They were the original covenant. uh, The original covenant was between them and God. But in the Jerusalem that is above, from above, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the new covenant, this represents us as believers today. It's all those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. Anybody who comes to him as their sa- that he is their savior and calls on him as Lord is a part of God's people. And it doesn't matter Jew or Gentile, which is non-Jew, anybody who believes on him is a part of God's people. And we've talked a lot about that the last few weeks of how we are adopted in to his family. So, verse 27. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud for you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now this is found in Isaiah 54, and it's not referencing Sarah and Hagar, but Paul's putting this into his argument, and this is corresponding actually with Jerusalem. Because at the time, this was referencing the, 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 the Israelites were in captivity by Babylon, and so he's referencing it as a, a view of their potential, their and that word is just not coming to me. That they will, <laughs> they will be set free. So it's kind of this um, imminent man. There it is. I got there. Better late than never. 
So we have this, these two images of the two women. And uh, in this text here, looking at it in Isaiah, the, the Jews are in captivity. And then they have this hope of what's to come, of their freedom that's to come. And so the barren woman represents the judgment of exile, right? That they were in exile. This was a part of judgment. And this corresponds with us today with the law. And that when we try to live by the law, it only, there, there's only judgment. There's no freedom in the law. It's only judgment. It's only condemnation. And uh, as we t- locked, uh, talked about uh, last week, that uh, it only leads to death. That the wages of sin are death. And there is no freedom when we try to do it on our own and by our own strength. And the fruitful woman represents God's promise of restoration to his people. Going all the way back to God's promise to Abraham of being the father of nations. This is us, that we're a part of that. And we've talked a lot about that in the last few weeks or in in the last few weeks of December that we are his children, that we are a part of that promise, that when God told Abraham to look up at the stars, we were one of those stars in God's mind. And this is what's meant by Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. It's a a weird phrase, but this is what it's representing. It's talking about God's people. And this is the church today, as we know it, the body of Christ, the collection of all believers And uh, anybody that calls on God as father is a part of this promise, going all the way back to Abraham. So continuing in our text, verse uh, 28 through 30. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. So here we see the distinction. There are those who are Isaacs and there are those who are Ishmaels. There are those who believe, who are a part of God's family, and there are those who aren't. And again, this is all an allegory. So it's all just a story that he's using to represent uh, us and our faith in Christ and what the church looks like. We can only be one or the other. We can only be someone who is living by faith or living by works. A child of promise, as Isaac was, or a child of slavery. And only as believers, as Isaacs, if you will, do we have the promise of inheritance? And this is something else we've looked at before. But here's where it gets kind of interesting, is, and I think we have to mention it, is the full lot of Isaac. So the full inheritance is not just the, the glory of the inheritance of our relationship with God and eternity with him, but it's also persecution. And that's Paul's point. He's referencing that... Uh, Ishmael mistreated Isaac just as we will be mistreated. And in Romans eight seventeen, Paul ties this same, makes the same point 
and ties it in with us and Christ himself. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. It's kind of a package deal that we have to, in following Christ, we have this same inheritance as Isaac. And a part of that inheritance, a part of that was this mistreatment by Ishmael and that we can be mistreated by the world today. But I think we have to remember that not only the world, but sometimes the church can be the one who's mistreating. As we saw with Jesus, who was persecuted and ultimately killed by the Jewish people, his own people, the people that he came to save. And Paul was also mistreated, beaten, with an inch of his life eventually killed as well by Jewish leaders of the time his own people. And many leaders, many great men throughout the Reformation uh, for centuries were mistreated and beaten and martyred most of the time in the name of God. And it's, uh, it's not a fun topic, but it is one that uh, is worth mentioning if we're going to see it in a text that we're reading. That uh, in the world today, there are many hundreds of Christians that are being persecuted and and being mistreated. And we have to uh, kind of keep that in mind that as children of promise, a part of that is this being mistreated. And I think that the key is that when when we, the, the good always outweighs the bad. And so we don't focus on that the the way that we're that paul was able to endure persecution was that he knew who he was in christ he knew the glory that was to come i mean he calls all of his persecutions which pale and compare we have nothing on paul and the things that he went through and his way of summing it all up is that they were light and momentary just minor inconveniences in my life on my walk with christ which just It doesn't make him into this greater man. It makes his focus clear that he wasn't focused on what was happening to him, but who he was in Christ, having his eyes focused on him. But of course, Isaac was also deeply loved by his father Abraham. Deeply loved by his father Abraham. This was the child of God's promise in his life. And we are children of God's promise and he loves us deeply. So as Isaac was mistreated by his brother, half-brother, we may be mistreated in this life in our walk with Christ. But we will also be loved by our father as Isaac was loved by Abraham. We will be loved And that's something to celebrate. And if we belong to Christ, then we are a part of this. You can't belong to Abraham without belonging to Christ. It always comes back to Jesus. It's always the answer in the Bible. That Jesus Christ died, rose again, and loves us with a deep and passionate love. 
Let's read our last few verses. And uh, I'm actually going to read uh, verse 31 and also 5-1 of the next chapter. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. I love this, how he relates us as, calls us brothers and sisters, reminding us that we're all one in Christ, that we're all part of Christ, the body of Christ, part of his family. And this stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Don't fall backwards, but stay firm in Christ. And this is what we talked about last week. Be vigilant. The devil roams around like a lion looking for whom he may destroy. We need to be vigilant and sober-minded. And in the end, we have the question of, are we going to be a child as Ishmael or of, as of Isaac? Are we going to be seeking to do things in our own strength or trusting in God's promise? If God gives you a word, if God's given you a word, and maybe you have something in mind, maybe there's a, 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 a word he gave you, a, maybe a direction he's leading you in, I want to encourage you that uh, he's going to be faithful to that. He's going to be faithful to the word that he puts in your heart. Always. Always. Not always in our time, not always in the way that we want it to be done, and not always as fast as we'd like it to be done, but he is always faithful to his word. Come up. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. So let's live free. And living free is trusting in him. Freedom is about not trusting in my own strength, but trusting in him. So I want to encourage you to be trusting in him. And the best place to start is with our salvation itself. Trusting in him that he is the one who saved you. He is the one, when you came to him and became a part of his family and he accepted you into his family, he said that he would continue the work that he began in you. He said, I will write my laws on your heart so that's, he's going to mold you and change you from the inside. He promised that he would send us a helper, the Holy Spirit, to dwell within us and to lead us every step of the way. So when you come to faith, when you come to know Christ, he, you, you inherit these promises. And that is a part of our inheritance. That's why the good outweighs the bad. Yeah, there might be persecution. Yeah, you might have hard times. Yeah, you might have dry seasons of your life. But we can trust in his promises that he will always be faithful to them no matter what. He's always true even if we're not. Even if we're not. And that's the cool thing that even though we might mess it up, even though we might go the wrong way or try to do it on our own, he's still faithful to his word. He's still faithful to those promises that he gave you. So let's worship together now and thank him. Thank him for the promises that he's given us.